to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. So they went up to Capernaum, and when, they, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue, Jesus did, and taught. They were astounded at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the, un the, un and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority, and he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him? At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let's imagine for a moment that each of you have a friend. I mean, that, you don't have to imagine that, but each of you have a friend who is not Christian, perhaps not even a believer in God. Perhaps you don't even have to imagine that. Um, maybe you have somebody who is like that, a friend. But let's think about what a conversation with them would look like. Let's say your friend wants nothing to do with going to church and is pretty critical of church and of Christianity in general. But let's say one day this person asks you to say something about what you believe asks if you could find a biblical story that shows clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. Which story would you tell? The resurrection? Easter? One of the miracles? Would you pick this story of Jesus casting out a demon? My guess is that our gospel reading for today would probably not be the scripture text that you would want to use. Um, would I be right on that? It'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> the thinking might go something like this. If my friend already doesn't believe in God, why would I want to bring up demons and exorcisms? And besides, that may not be something we are too sure of anyway. And we don't want to look primitive or naive or certainly don't want Jesus to look that way either. So Canadian pastor Don Hutchings, whose posts I have enjoyed reading, wrote that she remembers a few years ago running into an old friend from high school who was surprised to discover that she had become a pastor. 
he said to her something like this. You always seem to have your head uh, screwed on back in the day. How can you stand all that hocus pocus mumbo jumbo stuff in the church? She writes how his words had haunted her, especially in dealing with this text in particular. So she writes, hocus pocus and mumbo jumbo stuff. The dictionary defines hocus pocus as meaningless talk or activity often designed to draw attention away from and disguise what is actually happening. Hocus pocus and all of a sudden something, right? Um, it actually came into usage in English from a Latin phrase that would have been familiar to everyone who has e ever heard the Catholic Mass in Latin, communion for them. Hoc est corpus meum, which means this is my body. She continues, according to the dictionary, mumbo jumbo is defined as language or ritual causing or intending to cause confusion or bewilderment or words or activities that are unnecessarily complicated or mysterious and seem meaningless. This gospel text, which very much sounds like an exorcism, certainly does not seem to be something we tend to identify with or resonate with in Western culture in 2024, which is probably why some of the biblical scholars, the commentators, and the sermons would go on to explain away this unclean spirit as some sort of victim of mental illness or maybe epilepsy which is a way to deal with the text from a Western culture that looks at demon possession as hocus pocus mumbo jumbo stuff. And I would say, I would not be interested in going around the country with someone who professes that they were performing exorcisms. It would be easier to ignore these first century stories about demons and exorcisms. Um, as tempting as it is to explain the demons in this exorcism way as a sufferer from mental illness or epilepsy, I'm not sure it's that helpful. And it may not even be an accurate reading of the text. So why did the gospel writer tell this story in this way? What was the writer trying to say to those who were listening at the time of writing or telling 2,000 years ago? So let's look at the gospel again a little bit more closely. Jesus and a few of his disciples had been traveling to Capernaum. When the Sabbath arrived, Jesus strides into the temple and he taught. Jesus, a wandering rabbi, goes up to the pulpit and preaches or teaches, and whatever it was he was teaching, it stirred the people to the point that they were astounded at Jesus' teaching. The Greek word used could be translated as they were amazed and in a state of panic. Now, I can't ever remember being in a panic by what one of my teachers were teaching, except for one of my political science teachers, a professor at St. Olaf who had worked for the CIA and the State Department and said that he was aware that our country got within six seconds of sending the nuclear bombs around the world because of the tensions 
with Russia years ago. That puts me a little more in a panic today as well. But in our reading today, the gospel writer of Mark doesn't tell us what got Jesus' listeners into a panic. So what is Mark setting his readers up for? Hear the text again. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now we have moved from a literal to perhaps even a more literal interpretation. Perhaps the gospel writer is wanting us to understand that not only is Jesus casting a demon out of the person in our gospel reading, but we may have an unclean spirit in us that Jesus wants to cast out also. It may be a text that's pointing also to us. I think about our way of life being so different, perhaps even incompatible with Jesus' teaching. Love your neighbor as yourself is one thing. I mean, that, that's, that makes sense. But then love your enemies? Mm, you're going a little far now, Jesus. That's a whole lot different. Someone asks for your coat and you give them your shirt also? How many do that? Nonviolence in the face of violence? That's not something advertised in our culture. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi taught it, but how difficult is that? How predominant is that in our culture? If a homeless person asks for 20, how many would you give him 100? Typically, we kind of whittle them down to how about five, just so you don't hurt me. Um, and then we try to avoid those places in the first place. Literally, what is it that controlled the demon-possessed man? I mean, literally, the demon-possessed man that Jesus freed him from, it was the demon. And what is it that controls us? What are our demons? In our brief order of confession, we say we confess that we have turned from you and given ourselves into the power of sin, the power of our demons, you could say. The older language was we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. What sends us in a panic? Jesus' challenge of calling us to move from living a life of self-interest to a life of selflessness. What controls us? What are our demons? Are they anger or fear or doubt or prejudice or hopelessness or resentment or an addictive substance or relationship or self-absorption or greed or lust for power or an inability to see or want to see the need of my neighbor locally or around the world? What is it that controls us in such a way that we don't always care for the neighbor? I pray that we may become a little more aware of our demons today and may also hear the promise that just might send us into a panic, that we are set free from the law of sin and death. We are set free to care for others. We are set free from that which holds us back from being a blessing to the world, being called to not just be a blessing, but to be a blessing that may very well create anxiety in us.
because we may just maybe, maybe, we don't want to be that blessing to those people, whoever they might be. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And all those prejudices and hatreds and selfishness and fears that we have? And Jesus' answer to us, to all, is no. I have come to set you free from that which keeps you in bondage from caring for one another and the world that God loves and came to redeem. Amen.